Throughout history and throughout geography, uh, including our church, is that the pews, or the chairs, the case may be, are filled with people who, who think that they're okay, who think that they're Christians. And the scandal is that um, leadership, the pastors, the elders, the, the preachers in these churches throughout history have this unspoken conspiracy with the people in the pew. I will tell you you're okay. You pay me well. You listen. You pat me on the back on the way out. I'll tell you you're okay. I'll tell you how bad those people are out there. And I'll preach the gospel so that um, if perchance you might actually invite someone to come, an unbeliever, then, then they'd hear the gospel. But the gospel isn't for you. You're all okay. Don't worry. And I was reading through Jeremiah with uh, Dave Carell and Heidi as we meet in staff meetings. And a couple of passages struck me. The end of Jeremiah, just listen to these, Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. This is talking about the land of Israel in Jeremiah's day. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and my people love it so. There's the conspiracy. My people love it this way, but what will you do at the end of it? And then... Jeremiah 8, verse 11. <clears throat> Speaking of the leaders of Israel at the time, they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. How many of you would want a doctor who never, ever healed you to the core? Who only healed you superficially? Who only said to you, oh no, those, those symptoms, that's, that's nothing. Don't worry. You're alright. Healed the, the sickness superficially, saying, don't worry about it. You're okay. You're okay. When you're dying. You want a doctor like that? Then why do we want pastors like that? We want more than anything to come to church and hear, don't worry about it. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about them. You're okay. I'm talking about them. But we cannot be faithful and do that. And so, one of the things you'll often hear from us, <clears throat> one of the things that is often my concern as I stand up and have opportunity to preach to you, is... Are you, have you actually been healed deeply? Have you actually embraced Christ with your heart? And if so, how do you know? <clears throat> because there are people in this room this morning, I'm convinced of it. There are people in here who 
who are Christians and who need comfort from God's Word because you're weak. There are people here who make no claim to being a Christian. Some of you young people are here only because your parents have you here and you know that you're not a Christian and you couldn't care less about anything that's being said or done here. And you know who you are. And there are some here who think you're all right. And the job of a pastor is to comfort those who need comfort, to call to repentance those who are, who are openly and flagrantly rebelling against Him, and to warn those who think they're all right. And so I want to do that with you today, hopefully all three of those things, from the passage of uh, Scripture that was read for us this morning, John 17. We started to look at it last week, looked at the first five verses, I want to look at more of it this week. And the main thing I wanted you to hear last week is that salvation begins and ends in God. It does not begin and end in you. And that's not bad news for you. That's the best news in the world that you could ever hear. The Gospel begins in God, God the Father, who plans it, who sends His Son, who, who accomplishes salvation, the good news, the Gospel, so that you can come to Him and know Him and ultimately so that you can glorify Him. And that's the best thing in the world for you. And if you have a Gospel that says to you, uh, that begins with you, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. If it begins with you, then it has to end with you. And if it begins and ends with you, it's no good news at all. Because who are you? <laughs> but it begins and ends with God. And the only... The only bedrock for comfort and for hope and for peace, especially in times of trial and hardship, is that the Gospel begins and ends in God. And I urged you last week, do not come to the Gospel like an American comes to everything else in life. What will this do for me? What does this have to say to me? What does this have to do with me? How can this meet my needs? Don't come to the Gospel that way. Come to the Gospel asking what does this have to do with God? Because in the Gospel, God does not make much of you. He makes you able to make much of Him. And that's salvation. But we have completely flipped it on its head. So the Gospel doesn't have anything really to say to you until you get that right. But once you get that right, the Gospel has all kinds of things to say to you. And I want to ask the question... From John 17 this morning, um, what, is, what is this salvation all about? If, it, if we started last week from God's perspective, it begins and ends in God. God planned it for His glory. That's the bedrock. That's the starting place. What does it actually have to do with you? And the key to understanding what it has to do with you and me is the phrase in John 17 that Jesus uses a couple of times, and it's the phrase eternal life. And I want to ask three questions this morning. Number one, how do you get eternal life? Number two, what is it? Number three, how will you know if you have it or not? What will you look like? So first of all, how does a person get eternal life? And the passage answers that question in this way. Eternal life is a gift from God the Father and God the Son. It's what he says in verse 2. Jesus says to the Father, speaking to God the Father, He says, You, Father, gave Him. And when He says Him, He's talking about Himself, the Son of Man, the Son of God. You gave Him, the Son, authority over all flesh 
that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. It's simple, isn't it? Eternal life is a gift. Eternal life is a gift that God the Son gives by the authority of God the Father. It is a gift that He gives to particular people that He wants to give it to. That's what the text says, isn't it? It says, Father, You gave me authority over all flesh that I may give eternal life to all flesh. Right? Is that what it says? You gave me authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given me I may give eternal life. It doesn't say you gave me authority over all flesh so that I can give salvation to all flesh. There are people who do not have eternal life and will never have it. There are people in this room, maybe, who will never have it. Because it comes as a gift. And the giver has authority over how he dispenses the gift. And it's free. And it's sovereign. That means he does it with his absolute authority and you cannot question him. He gives, authority, he gives eternal life to certain people. And the group of people that he mentions here, all, as, he's, as he's speaking to the Father, is all whom you have given me. So God the Father has taken a group of human beings throughout all time and all places and has given those people to His Son. And His Son then gives eternal life to them. This eternal life is a gift. And none of us deserve it. None of us can do anything to make God give it to us. Otherwise, it's not a gift. He gives it to the people that have been given to Him by His Father. And it's given to people who deserve nothing but death. Now this, again, kills our pride. It kills our pride because what we want the text to say is that He gives eternal life to all of those who ask Him for it. To all of those who have done something to deserve it. And maybe your theology doesn't say that on the page when you write it down in black and white, but that's where you really believe. Jesus says, You've given me authority over all flesh that I may give eternal life to all whom you have given to me. So the first question, how does a person get eternal life? Jesus answers the question, I give it to people whom I want to give it to. The second question I want to ask of this passage to help us understand the Gospel is, what is eternal life? And again, the passage helps us. Verse 3, Jesus says, this is one of those great places where There's no doubt at all about what he's saying. This is eternal life. Ready? This is eternal life. No doubt about what he's saying. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus tells us what eternal life is. And it's not what we think. He says eternal life is to know God. But what do we think? We put the emphasis 
on the length, the duration. Eternal life means I get to take life, life that I know right now, the kind of life that I live right now, maybe without bad things, but still life, and have it forever and ever and ever. And I put the emphasis on the duration. Eternal life. And again, what does that have to do with? It has to do with me. And that's not what he says. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you. Eternal life is not just focusing on the length of it. It's the, it's the kind of it. It's the kind of life that He gives you. Eternal life is knowledge of God forever. The emphasis is, is on the kind of life it is. The quality of life that it is. And Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that they might have life. Do you remember how that verse goes? And have it abundantly. There's this abundance, this fullness, this richness of life. It's the kind of life, not just the duration of it. So to have eternal life is not just to live forever and ever. To have eternal life is to have the kind of life that is in right relationship with God. And what we will always tend to do as human beings, as man-centered, hardwired, selfish people, is to make the emphasis of eternal life us. I was talking to uh, Nicholas, my little, my youngest son, the other day. We had a discipline issue, <laughs> and uh, and as I was disciplining him, sometimes we don't always get here, but sometimes when when I'm working with my boys, you you have to get to beyond the you know what did you do. You have to get to the why, and then you have to get to God. And so somehow or another, I have no idea how, we ended up talking about heaven. And Nicholas said to me, in the middle of this conversation, um, will, will Murphy be there? Now, Murphy is our little dog. And so he's thinking like a human being would think. Um, he's thinking like a Muslim would think. Heaven is what? Paradise with the things that I want. Seventy vestal virgins. Forever. Or little puppy dogs. Forever. Whatever. I just take what I know here and what I love here and transpose it up to here and say, that's what heaven is. Heaven is getting everything that I really love, but I get it forever. Isn't that great? It has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. What do you think of when you think of heaven? I've heard stories of people who would take a group of Christians and ask them, what is it about heaven that makes you excited about going to heaven? And they'll talk about streets of gold. They'll talk about no sin. They'll talk about no tears. They'll talk about no sadness. They'll talk about reunion with the child they lost. They'll talk about reunion with Grandma Betsy. And they never say, God is there. What makes heaven heaven is that God is there. Eternal life is knowing God. What do you think? So this eternal life is knowing God. It's a quality of life. It's a kind of life that is utterly, completely different. That's why it uses the Bible uses words like being born again, being born of God, being born from above, being 
born of the Spirit, being partakers of the divine nature, what makes you have eternal life is that you, you have a kind of life that you were not born with when you were born from your mother's womb. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And it's to have a completely different life that is different, completely different than the kind of life you were born with. It's to have a new nature. It's to have a new principle of life inside. It's to have a new heart that's able to love God and obey God and worship God and that wants to do those things. Do you have that kind of life? Or do you have the kind of life you were born with when you came into this world? What God gives us in the gospel of salvation is a new kind of life that is available to us right now. It's not just about what I get to do forever. It's about now. What kind of life do you have now? It's a newness of life that will transform everything about you. Ultimately, it will transform literally everything about you. Not just later, but it will start now. And so that brings us to the third question. The first question, how do we get eternal life? God gives it to people that He has given to His Son. The Son gives it to people that He has chosen to give it to. Number two, what is it? It's knowing God. It's a new kind of life that makes you able to know God. And that changes you. So the third question is, what does it look like? What will your, your life look like if you have this gift of eternal life? If eternal life is not just living forever when you die, but something that changes you now, what will those changes look like? And we don't have to go beyond this passage for answers. Look at verse 3 that we've already seen. You will know God if you have eternal life. Eternal life is to know God. And this isn't just some kind of intellectual awareness. Um, there are a lot of people in this room who know God at the level of you know facts about God, you have right ideas in your heads about God. A lot of the kids in this room could answer all the catechism questions about God. The adults in this room know things about God. But you, some of you don't know God at all. Because the kind of knowing he's talking about is not just the kind of knowing that knows facts and details and, and data. God says to His people Israel in Amos chapter 3, verse 2, God the Father says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. And that's the kind of knowing He's talking about. Now He doesn't mean, when He talks to His people Israel, He doesn't mean, you only, you're the only group of people in the world that I knew anything about. You only have I known. I, I didn't know about those people over there. He says, you only have I known. There's this, this intimacy, this warmth. It's the same kind of idea when it says in Genesis, Adam knew his wife and she bore a son. It's not, oh, hi, how are you? Glad to meet your acquaintance. Glad to, to know facts about you. It's intimate. If you have eternal life, you will know God in that intimate way. An intimate, personal, loving way. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Do you know God? Or do you just know about Him? 
And you can have a smoke screen in your heart um, that is very thick because you can tell yourself that you know God because you filled your mind with facts about Him. You're like the tabloid reader, you know, who, who reads People magazine and knows the stars. You don't know anything about them. You might know juicy facts, but you don't know them. And you might know facts about God, but you don't know Him. Do you know Him? The second thing that Jesus says is true of you if you have, if you have eternal life is in verse 6. You'll keep God's Word. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. So there's that again. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your Word. So if you have this newness of life, then you will love God's Word and you will keep God's Word. You will cherish God's Word. You will obey God's Word. The only way that you could think that a Christian, that you could be a Christian who does not cherish and obey the Word of God, the only way you can think that is if you don't understand what Jesus says about eternal life. Eternal life changes you. How can you have this newness of life, this being born from God, being born from above, and not want to obey Him? The only way that you could conceive of a Christian who has no regard at all for the Word of God is to completely miss what the Bible says about eternal life. And there are people in this room who are doing that. And who desperately want it to be true because they have children or they have loved ones who have claimed to be Christians and yet their life completely disregards and disobeys the Word of God. And so they have to tell themselves, okay, Christians don't necessarily have to have any regard for the Word of God because I love my kids and I can't bear the thought of them going to hell. And so you mess with truth. A Christian has been changed. And a Christian wants to obey the Word of God. The third thing that Jesus says is true of you if you have eternal life is verse 8. You'll understand spiritual things. He says, The words which you gave me I have given to them and they received them and they truly understand that I came forth from you. There's this true understanding of spiritual things. Christian has had the blinders removed. A Christian is able to see. passage I read last, to you last week in 2 Corinthians says, uh, if you're not a Christian, the God, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the hearts of unbelievers so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But the God who says, let light shine from darkness, has spoken in your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What happens when you become a Christian is that the lights come on. And you have a true understanding of spiritual things. And it's not a complete understanding. You can have true understanding without having complete understanding. If you've ever been to the, to the ocean and you go out there, think of you going to the ocean on vacation and you go down and you take a teacup and you take the teacup and you dip it into the water 
Do you have the whole ocean in your teacup? Of course not. But is there ocean in your teacup? There's true ocean in there. Your head can't hold everything. But you can understand truly. You don't have to have complete understanding to have true understanding. And when God gives eternal life to people, He makes them understand things that they've never understood before. Have you had that experience? Have you known things in a new way that you never understood before because God turned the lights on? God said, let there be light. The fourth thing that Jesus says is true of you if you, believe, if you have eternal life is also in verse 8. It's you will believe. Notice what He says. They believe that you sent Me. Verse 8. If you have eternal life, you will believe God. If you have eternal life, you will believe God. If you have been born from above, you will believe God. If you have been changed in your heart from an enemy of God who hated God, a rebel who hated God into a friend of God, you will believe God. If you have had God say, let there be light, and there has been light shed abroad in your heart, you will, obey, you will believe God. That's the order that it happens in. God changes you so that you can believe. You don't believe and make God change you. He changes you so that you can believe. And that's what Scripture teaches all over the place. Faith is a gift. And again, it casts you back onto God. Because there is nothing you can do. It is all the work of God. The fifth thing that Jesus says is true of you if you have eternal life is in verse 13. You'll have joy. He says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. There are people in this room who call themselves Christians, and yet they're miserable all the time. And a miserable Christian is, is a contradiction in terms because Jesus Christ said, I'm coming to you, Father, so that my joy may be full in my people. What kind of joy do you think Jesus Christ has? Do you think of Jesus Christ as a gloomy, depressed, sour man? Jesus Christ has fullness of joy. And He has prayed and He has spoken these things to us so that we may have His joy made full in us. And if you have no sense of that, and there's something terribly wrong. And the sixth thing that Jesus says is true if you have eternal life is, verse 17, you'll be sanctified. He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And really all of these things I've been talking to you about are summed up, summed up in that. Sanctified. Made holy. Set apart. Changed. Made different. And if you have no experience of that, do you have eternal life? Can you have been completely changed by God, by the power of God, but not be changed at all? You have the ability to walk in newness of life. The Holy Spirit is in you if you have eternal life, 
and He's doing His work in you, and He's fighting against your sin, and He's producing in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And if you look at yourself and don't have those things, it's because you don't have the Spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, it's because you don't have eternal life. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words, Paul says, and tell you that you can have eternal life and be no different than you were before. The last thing that is true of you if you're a Christian, if you have eternal life, is verse 18. And it says, As you sent me into the world, Jesus says to His Father, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The one thing we're tempted to believe again and again and again is that all of this has to do with us. So, okay, alright. I've got eternal life. I look at myself. I can see that I, that I do know God. I do keep His Word. I do understand spiritual things. I can tell that there are things I had no, no understanding of before that God has turned the light switch on. I can see them now. I do believe in God. I do have a sense of joy in God. And yes, I'm being sanctified. All of this is the work of God in me. It's changing me. It's making me different. And then we could think, so there it is. This is all about me after all. I have all of these things for my sake. I have all of these things for me. These are things that God has worked in me so that I, ultimately, can go to heaven. And I can live my life in this world. I can, uh, I can hate my neighbor. I can see them and completely ignore them. I can work for my kingdom. I can be sent on my mission and go to heaven and everything's great. Jesus says, As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. There is no such thing as a Christian who has not been sent into the world. Jesus says in this prayer, I do not ask you that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the power of the evil one. He has sent you into the world. How are you living on this mission that God has called you into? The Daubs are not the only ones in this room who have been sent. The Wegeners aren't here. But they're not the only ones who haven't been sent or have, who have been sent. Every one of you has been sent. You have been sent into this world with this truth, with this gospel, with this power of new life. And somehow you think that you can just sit on it. So what about you? Do you know God? 
Really? Do you keep His Word? Do you understand spiritual things? Do you believe God? Do you have joy from Him? Are you being sanctified? Do you see yourself as sent by God in this world for a purpose or not? Now, of course, that doesn't mean that if you don't have all of those things in their fullest measure, to their fullest manifestations, then you don't have eternal life. Don't hear me say that. Because I don't want to discourage anyone who sees these things in themselves, but sees them weakly. If you see these things in yourself, even weakly, then rejoice. Because you cannot know God apart from the work of God in you. You can't have any kind of obedience to Him without His work in you. You can't understand anything deeply and truly of His Word without Him working in you. You can't have any kind of joy in Him with without Him working in you. You can't be sanctified. If you see any of these things, if you see these things in you beginning to work, if you see the seeds or the buds of those things in you, then press on and by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, by the, by the power of this new life in you, see those seeds and buds become full flowers because that's what God has called you to. But I am saying that if you know nothing of these things, if Christianity to you is making a decision, being thankful, at least I know where I'm going when I die, or if it's a shallow veneer, Maybe you're telling yourself peace, peace when there is no peace. Some of you resist this every, every week, every Sunday. You deep down know that you're not at peace with God. And you will not do anything about it out of fear and pride. You're afraid of what people will think because all along you've passed yourself off as a good Christian. And to, to all of a sudden now say all of that was fake, you're afraid of what people will think of you and you're too proud to do it. And you will die in your sins. What a shame. If you know nothing of these things, you know nothing of eternal life. But Jesus Christ holds out eternal life to you. And He says that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. He holds it out to you. He holds it out to you. And He says, believe in Me. Trust Me. Cast yourself on Me. Come to Me. Stop trying to pretend that you're okay. Come to Jesus Christ and believe in Him and He will give you eternal life. And I want every one of us in this room to look at yourself. You do not get eternal life by doing any of these things. But if you have eternal life, you will do these things.
So trace the fruit back to the source. And if you have these things, then you need to be who you are. You need to, you need to live these things out. You need to become everything that God says about you in this passage. You need to pursue knowledge of God. You need to pursue obedience to God's Word. You need to pursue understanding and deeper faith and real joy and real sanctification. And you need to see yourself on a mission. And if you don't take those things up and pursue them, then you're squandering what God has done for you. And you're living as if none of it is true. Take what God has given you. Don't live like all of this has nothing to do with your real life. has everything to do with it. God will help us. Let's pray and ask Him. Father, I do pray that every single person in this room who has heard Your Word and who has heard the voice of Your Son through this prayer would again, or for the first time, turn away from themselves and cast themselves on You. And I pray that You would continue to root out from us, Father, this, this selfish centeredness on ourselves that reads everything in terms of us. Lord, I pray for those here who do not know You. Father, I pray for young people and old people alike who have, have fooled themselves into thinking that they're alright. And I pray for them, Lord, that You would show them the truth about themselves and cause them to rest in You and to turn to You now and to repent.